Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you again for joining us on the program. Uh, man, last week I was uh, like a steam engine, <laughs> a steam just pumping through trying to get into that segment, all of the things that I wanted to say concerning the Battle of Armageddon, the Battle of the Great Day of God Almighty. I want to come back again and reiterate a few things um, about, that, about that Battle of Armageddon. You know, one of the things I want to say to you, first of all, is the fact that, uh, you know, this wine press is being trodden outside the city. Blood was flowing to a horse's bridle. I mean, you know, just the fact that blood is flowing to a horse's bridle ought to be a clue that this battle of Armageddon is not in our future. If it was in our future, it certainly would not be fought with horses. It would be fought with scud missiles and tanks and nuclear and bombs and airplanes. And I, and I know we've had all kinds of fanciful ideas of people trying to superimpose from Greek words things like uh, Apollyon being a word from the Apollo program or the word Uranus having uranium in it. And, and, and all of that's just fanciful speculation and supposition that is extra biblical and is not in the context. I believe if you followed our teaching, and if you haven't, you can go back to YouTube and watch any of the videos that we have aired to date because we have consecutively, I believe line upon line, in context, showed you how this book of Revelation is not about coming catastrophes. It's about, number one, redemption to the believer and judgment to the apostates of Israel who were people under the Old Covenant. The reason I do not believe that this can have future fulfillment is because this was the last days, and, and when we get into the next segment where we deal with the, the, vallis, uh, I'm sorry, the chalices or the vials, it will say, in them is filled up the wrath of God. These are the last plagues, the last time God will do that. And so what he's doing is he's doing it in response to keeping his end of the covenant bargain uh, that the apostate Israel and the Jews have forced his hand to keep his end of the curses of Deuteronomy. But to the believers, it is the blessing that we say yes and amen to, and that the redeemed of the Lord are with him on Mount Zion. And we've been teaching from the book of Revelation in the 14th chapter, and I want to go back there uh, today. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter of 14. Uh, I'm going to start in... Uh, to verse number 9. This is 14 verse 9, uh, Revelation, because we've covered this in uh, uh, prior segments. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of the indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. We shared with you how that was completely fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem and the wheat and the tares and the harvest paradigm of Matthew 13. Go back and listen to prior segments to get that. Smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Heard a voice from heaven saying, Unto me right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and his hand a sharp sickle. We talked about many segments ago, 
cloud comings are multiple, but this particular cloud coming is His coming in judgment upon apostate Israel. I believe we shared in the last segment that if you read in the writings of Josephus and in the writings of Eusebius, they both say uh, it was so incredible of a sight that I reckon had I not seen it, I would not have believed it myself. That during this period of time of the siege of Jerusalem and the Roman armies surrounding Jerusalem, that there appeared first of all over the tabernacle or over the temple what looked like the appearance of a sword. And while many uh, presupposed that to mean the sign of victory, it was actually the sword of the Lord that was about to be released in judgment upon this rebellious house. Also, they said, this, this is recorded literally and physically. They literally saw in the clouds about it, and, and especially Josephus writes, he said, had I not seen it, it would have been almost as it were unbelievable. And he talked about how that there was moving about in the clouds the appearance of horses and chariots and the sound of the armies of heaven moving about literally and physically in the clouds of heaven. There was a cloud coming in 70 AD and a voice from the temple saying, we are departing hence. God was moving out of that place and out of that tabernacle and into a new tabernacle, which is the people of God. You and I are the synagogue of the Lord. And we talked about the synagogue a little bit in a uh, prior segment, but literally, and then also uh, Josephus writes and says that during that period of time also that a calf gave birth to a lamb. That's incredible stuff that is uh, just absolutely recorded, not by just one or two historians and not by somebody who was slanted with a Christian bent because Josephus was simply a Roman historian. Now he had had a background of being Jewish, but was captured, but he simply tells the story and reports the news like he sees it. I'm concerned sometimes that, you know, uh, the Jews missed the coming of the Lord the first time He came because He didn't meet how they thought He should come. He didn't come in palaces and with royal robes. He came in a manger. And I'm concerned that we missed the coming of the Lord ourselves because we didn't know how to look for it. But when we see it in the context of how it is, uh, this was a cloud coming. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't con uh, continue to appear. He moves in our services. He appeared to uh, uh, Saul of Tarshish. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, he, he's appearing to people right now in the Middle East on a huge level, and converts are coming. So I'm not saying that there's not an appearing. I am telling you, though, this was his perusia, is the Greek word. It was one of his comings in the clouds. Uh, that was a coming in judgment, and it is in fulfillment of even what he said in the book of Daniel where he said, and the throne was set and there came on the clouds of heaven one like a son of man and appeared before the ancient of days and to him was given judgment and a kingdom that all nations and kingdoms should serve him. So this is his coming in clouds and we shared with you back a long time ago how that this coming in clouds also brought a resurrection to those who were the martyrs of Jesus under the altar crying, how long Lord till thou dost avenge us because on the heels of the destruction of the temple in Revelation 8, 11, and the heels of the destruction of the temple, the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet sounds, and the dead are raised. From that time on, you and I do not sleep as others which have no hope. 
So when he's saying, blessed are the dead that die in the Lord from his foot that they may rest from their labors, he's saying you've come into a new covenant paradigm and you no longer have to work to get this, but that you're blessed now that there's a blessedness that came upon those of us who have been born since this time, because since that time, there has not been a believer died in 2,000 years. The moment we take our last breath, we step right into the presence of the Lord, and uh, we are immediately with Him, so that when we go say, uh, someone who passed away, we say, well, they went home to be with the Lord. They, in fact, went home to be with the Lord. But you couldn't have said that in the Old Covenant, because they all slept with their fathers. I don't want to get into that uh, in this segment. Verse 16, he, he that sat on the cloud thrusted his sickle on the earth, the earth was reaped, and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle, the angel came out of the altar which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even to the horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand, two hundred, or sixty. 1600 furlongs. Uh, in Revelation 16, it talks about, let me, see, let me see if I can get that for you. Revelation 16, verse number 16 uh, is also connected to that. Uh, verse 15 uh, it says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keep his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, and the, and the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. This battle of Armageddon is not one that is to be fought in the middle with Iran, Iraq, natural Israel. This battle found its complete fulfillment in 70 AD when Jerusalem was encompassed with armies. It is interesting to note that the 1600 stadia, which is what this Greek word is, is equivalent to about 200 miles and is slightly uh, more than the length of Palestine itself. The land of Israel is thus representing, is overflowing with blood. In the coming nationwide judgment, the streams of running blood become a great red sea, reaching to the horse's bridle, connecting this to the overthrow of Pharaoh and his chariots in Exodus 14, verse 23. Uh, it uses this Exodus imagery. It uses this Exodus imagery is used extensively in the following chapter. Uh, Zechariah had foretold of the day when all the things throughout the land would be holy and the land would be filled with pure worshipers, when holy to the Lord would be inscribed upon the bells of the horses of Israel in Zechariah chapter number 14, verse 20 through 21. It would be interesting to note. Uh, great battles that took place in the valley of Megiddo. Armageddon, it, the original word has been variously formed and uh, translated Armageddon, but it literally means the mount of the assembly, the destruction of their army, or uh, is the valley of which was remarkable for two great slaughters, one of the Israelites, the other of the Canaanites. But Mount Megiddo, that is in Carmel, is the place, according to some, where these armies would be collected somewhere in the future, but it is a fulfillment of the typology of the same valley. These were great battles that were fought in them, uh, both to defeat the Canaanite and uh, the, uh, uh, let's see, it was the uh, Israelites uh, defeated the Canaanites and, uh, and uh, the armies were collected there. Uh, in the book of Judges, those battles were fulfilled. Now let me just, let me stop a minute here and just kind of bring, collect a few thoughts. I've got so much running in my mind. When I think about this great battle, one of the things that happened in the book of Judges 
was one of the great battles was the battle that took place between Caesarea or Caesarea, and his name means meditations and can literally speak of the carnal mind or any high thing that lifts itself against the knowledge of God. And there was this woman by the name of Jael and a woman by the name of Deborah who were leading this Israeli king against the king of Caesarea, which was the enemies of Israel. And they were coming to this place uh, to fight against Israel. And the king Sisera turns into the tent of Jael, who is a woman. When he turns into the tent of Jael, he says, listen, hide me here from my enemies. I am weary from the battle. She said, well, turn in here. She covers him up. He says, listen, if, tell them, if they come, tell them I'm not here. And he asked her, he said, give me some water to drink. And she doesn't give him water. She gives him milk. Now, this is powerful to me. Because what that pictures to me is Sisera, whose name means meditations, or if you will, wrong thinking or carnal thinking. I could call it the mark of the beast or the carnal mind. And he turns into the tent of, of uh, Jael and says, give me some, some water to drink. She doesn't give him water. She gives him milk. You say, well, why milk? Because milk is a symbol of righteousness. How do I know that? Because the book of Hebrews says, if you are not exercised in the word of righteousness, you need milk. So can I say it like this? The message of righteousness by faith has come to the church. This woman, if you will, and she's about to take the nail and put it on the head of Caesarea and drive it to the ground. This word for nail or tent peg is the same one that is used to describe the nail that was used to crucify Jesus. So what we need to do is take the message of the finished work of Jesus Christ, put it on our carnal minds and destroy everything and every high thing that lifts itself against the, the, the knowledge of God. Because this I mean, what this, what, what this battle of Armageddon was showing is a victory that Jesus has in his redemptive work. Let me just say this again. When we talked about last week uh, the, 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 the wine press of the wrath of God uh, in Isaiah, let me just see if I can find it really quick. The, the book of, in the book of Isaiah, it says that, uh, let me see if I can find it real quickly. But he talks about in the book of Isaiah how that he had uh, trampled out the vintage. It's in Isaiah 63. It said, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? Re uh, remember in the book of Revelation, his vesture was dipped in blood. And he said, He's trodden the winepress alone, and the people there, there was none with me. For I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of the redeemed has come. So this is twofold again. This Jesus trampling out the vintage, this blood through the horse's bridle is twofold. It is a picture of what Jesus did in his redemptive work outside the city. Because outside the city is where Jesus was crucified. And Hebrews 13 says, the bodies of those beasts were burnt outside the camp. Wherefore, we should be, uh, wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us therefore go forth without the camp, bearing his reproach. So what he's saying is, is that for the believer, Jesus' work outside the camp of him shedding his blood was probably the greatest victory over anything. Well, it was the greatest victory. That if we go forth outside the camp and identify with that victory, uh, that battle of Armageddon's already been fought for us. And the only thing we need to do is put the nail of his re redemptive work to our carnal mind and remember that the year of the redeemed has come. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I hope I'm making sense to you. But to the unbeliever, this was him 
trampling at the vintage of the wrath of God. It was the year of the vengeance of our God. And it says, and I looked and there was none to help me. I wonder, uh, and there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation to me in fury. In, in my fury, it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in my anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. So I'm simply trying to tell you that this battle and these pouring out of chalices in the next several chapters is number one to the believer. It is the cup of communion. I believe that the word chalice here is translated as the cup of communion in other places. So for the believer, we drink the blood of Jesus to show that his judgment for us is not in our future. It is the year of the redeemed for us. For the apostates who did not receive it, it is the day of vengeance. For us, he already trampled out the grapes of wrath. His vesture is dipped in blood. You and I now stand in a place of victory over the beast, over the number of his name, and we stand on top of the sea of glass. I think it is interesting uh, that when he uh, opens the 15th chapter, he said, I saw uh, another angel, or, or uh, uh, he says, uh, let, let me see. Uh, yeah, in chapter 15, verse 1, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee? Uh, for thy judgments are made manifest. Now, I want you to see that as we connect the blood to a horse's bridle, we want to connect that also with the fact that in Revelation chapter 14 and the latter part of it, again, look what happens in the latter part of it. There is blood. The, he guessed, thrust in the sickle of the earth and gathered the vine of the earth, cast in the great winepress of the wrath of God. And it was blood came out to the horse's bridle. Now, the imagery that's being drawn from again here is that of the Red Sea crossing. So when you come into chapter 15, look at the context of this. When you come into cap chapter 15 Revelation, there is a sea of glass mingled with fire, and then they got the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. And they're standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee and glorify your name for thou art holy for all nations are come to worship before thee for thy judgments are made manifest. Now here's what I think is so powerful. When I think of the imagery that's being drawn from here, when they crossed, get this, the Red Sea. It's the Red Sea. When they crossed the Red Sea and the children of Israel came up on dry land and they looked back, the same water that saved them destroyed their enemy. Again, I want you to see that this paradigm that we're sharing here in Revelation is to the believers victory. Just like the children of Israel, the water saved them to the Egyptians and their horses. It destroyed them. This judgment that is coming is destroying the enemies of the cross, the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the church. But it is also a great salvation that is now being distributed because of what Jesus did outside the city in his redemptive work when his vesture was dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. If you look back and you're an Egyptian standing on the bank of the Red Sea, it looks like a Red Sea looks like blood 
to the horse's bridle. It is not an accident then that when chapter 15 opens, that it looks like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and then they got the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark standing on top of that sea of glass. They keep, you see, even, even this imagery, chapter 15, another way to look at this is that you see, first of all, they're coming up out of a Red Sea, so the Egyptians are being destroyed. God is showing them that the enemies of the cross and the enemies of Christ are being destroyed just like the water destroyed them in Egypt. This also is a picture, this sea of glass is a picture of the brazen labor in the tabernacle of Moses and in the temple of Solomon because the labor or the brazen sea, it was called the brazen sea, was made from the looking glasses of the women that sat at the door of the tabernacle. The water that was in this uh, brazen labor came from the smitten rock. Well, we know the smitten rock was Christ. But when the priest would come in and wash the sacrifices, what he would do is he would wash the sacrifices in blood so that when you would walk up to this brazen sea, it would literally look like a sea of glass that's got blood in it. So in other words, when you look into, it would be as if you walk up to this great big basin that was made from the mirror or the looking glasses of the women. So they are looking into this brazen, this brazen sea, and they are looking through the blood, and they are looking through the blood, and they're looking through the water that came from the smitten rock. Say it another way. What they're doing is they are looking at a victory that was already accomplished through the sacrifice of Jesus, and they're seeing themselves through the blood. These that are standing on top of the sea of glass are seeing themselves through the blood, and interestingly enough, they are singing the song of Moses. The song of Moses was the song that they sang when they came up out of the Red Sea. That's powerful. That's not an accident. But they're also singing the song of the Lamb, showing that both the law and the prophets have been fulfilled, and now the redemption of the Lamb is here, so we're not in this sea of judgment. We are standing on top of it, because we have the victory over the beast, over the number of his name. We did not receive his mark. We have our Father's name in our foreheads. I could simply bring it back to you and show it to you like this, too, as I showed you in this book, especially that in uh, the, the, the lowest common denominator of the six in the book of Revelation is simply Adam in his fallenness. And interestingly enough, he also has 17 kings and they're listed in Galatian. The works of the flesh are these, and he lists 17 of them. But what I'm simply saying to you is if you want to get the victory over uh, even this Adamic nature, that, uh, uh, that, that, that we, we war with before we realize we are new creations is that we've got to come to the mirror of the Word of God. We've got to see ourselves through the blood. We've got to see ourselves through the victory of what Jesus accomplished. And we've got to stand on top of this and see we are either going to yield ourselves to the image of God or we're going to yield ourselves to the image of the beast. So the book of Revelation is not about the coming mark of the beast. It's about getting rid of that one, first of all, that historically happened in Israel with the Roman armies and Nero and his mark, but also getting rid of any kind of beast nature that we have by identifying with the death of the Lamb. Interestingly enough, that the brazen laver speaks of water baptism because it was full of water and it was used, and it's a picture, first of all, of water baptism because in the outer court, there's a blood sacrifice at the brazen altar and then the water and the, and the, the blood that's in the water. So you're blood bought, water baptized, and when you go down into the waters of baptism, what you're saying is my old man is dead. Jesus 
and his death outside the camp was my death. I'm identifying with that in the waters of baptism, and I am coming back up out of the waters of baptism, not as an old man with a mark of the beast, but as a new man with the seal of God in my forehead. Also, you're seeing the fulfillment of this in the natural, where he comes and says that these armies that are encompassed about Jerusalem are treading the, uh, the whole land of Palestine until blood came out to a horse's bridle, and that that battle was physically and literally and completely fulfilled in 70 AD, so that we uh, look back and see what looked like blood to a horse's bridle. And so we have this glory of this blessed hope. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, as we see Him, as we look into this mirror of the Word of God, and we see Him, we are changed from glory to glory, not from heartache to heartache, but from misery to misery. We are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, and that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. The blessed hope is not that Jesus would come, but that when He appears, we should be like Him. With every appearing, something changes in the life of the believer. The more I behold in the Word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the more I'm changed into the selfsame image. The more I behold into the perfect law of liberty as in a mirror, and I don't forget what manner of man I am, the more I become a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. I trust that you're getting what I'm saying concerning the twofold redemption and judgment that came that was physically, literally fulfilled the Battle of Armageddon here in uh, 70 AD but also in the life of the believer as it is applied from the judgment of what Jesus did outside the camp when he shed his blood. Let us therefore go forth outside the camp bearing his reproach. And let me tell you what happens next is that after this, the temple of God is opened in heaven and there is seen in his temple the ark of his testament. This is verse number five. The ark of the covenant of the Lord is now seen in heaven. And seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen having their breasts girded with golden girdles, and one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke of the glory of God from His power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues were fulfilled. This sets the stage for the next segment that we will begin to film soon, dealing with the coming judgments of the pouring out of the wraths. Remember, this is the end of the trumpets. It is the declaring of the coming judgment, and the chalices are the pouring out of those judgments. This ought to be good news, that these judgments are not in your future, they are in your past. You don't have to worry about a coming mark of the beast. You already got rid of the one you were born with when you identified with the death of Jesus. Thank you for listening to us. Call that number on the screen. Get behind what we're doing. Help us take this kind of gospel around the world. It's good news. If you'd like to be a part of something like that, and it's huge and it's big, call the number on the screen and so seat into the ministry today, or go to our website, and you can give via credit card and we will appreciate it, and so will those who are able to hear this word being preached. Thank you for being here with us today. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.